This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 8.38 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Keith Kam. In about 15 minutes, we've got the opening bell. Well, actually, in half an hour, we have the opening bell where we check out uh, how Bursa Malaysia begins the trading day. But uh, before that, let's talk about palm oil and sustainability. In December last year, the EU agreed on a deforestation law that would require companies to produce a due diligence report with verifiable information that they were not grown on land deforested after 2020. So far, some of the commodities that were targeted include palm oil, cocoa, soy and timber. So in response to this, Malaysia and Indonesia have increased their efforts to counter the negative campaign against palm oil. It became one of the main focuses of Prime Minister Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim's visit to Indonesia in January. He also raised this issue with German President Frank-Walter Steinmeier during the latest visit last month. So will the new EU deforestation free products regulation or EUDR become another trade barrier for palm oil when it comes into force and how prepared are Malaysian palm oil players in meeting these standards. To better understand the implications of the law for Malaysian palm oil producers, we speak to Ko Yuleng, Principal at Sergi Enam Advisors. Yuleng, good morning. Thanks as always for joining us today. Now, I understand that the implementation of the EUDR could happen as early as this year. Help us understand what is actually required under this law and how prepared are Malaysian palm oil players with the rollout of various certifications that would be required. Hi, morning. Um, For palm oil, essentially, I think we're looking at the EU Parliament uh, perhaps passing the final version uh, in the second quarter, so June or something. People talk about that um, and it'll come into force after that. But I think for the implementation, for be to be applicable to business, it's still going to take a bit of time, about 18 months or so. Mm. But of course, everyone's going to be acting pretty soon. Um, it is a shorter time frame than normal. The, there was a timber regulation and uh, that was allowed uh, three years to uh, to come in. But then, of course, everyone's gotten quite used to those kind of things. So I'm not surprised that there is a shorter time frame for this. Mm. But um it does cover a number of commodities, so palm oil is, is no longer alone. It, it doesn't feel uh, uh, that it's, uh, you know, uh, left out in that sense, uh, out, out in the dark to, to do all these things. Large exporters are pretty familiar um, with um, complying to RSPO and traceable supply chains. That will make them very well practiced and prepared for this. This is about 20% plus of the market. Um, and, uh, you know, they're used to running like segregated or dedicated supply dedicated supply chains where the production origin, there's a whole bunch of uh, administrative uh, other data that goes with it. So, and this is really, as you point out, a regulatory shift Hmm. towards better corporate due diligence um, on climate change. Um, Having said that, these certifications are not an automatic green lane. I mean, I know, um, you know, Malaysia and in a way Indonesia, a bit less so perhaps, uh, have been kept saying that, oh, we want MSPO to be recognized, but unfortunately it doesn't quite work like that. But I would say that what's positive is that Malaysia uh, data can actually be, I'm, I'm kind of tra- trying to tell the commodity palm oil people that it's like having Intel inside. You're inside every device. You know, if Japan wants it a certain way, if EU wants it a certain way, if Korea wants it a certain way, and they all have their green requirements coming on and, and existing, yeah. um, then, you know, you, ha- you have the core base of it um, and then you need additional data. But what's going to happen is for RSPO, you know, if, say, you're a company and you have RSPO uh, certification, uh, FSC certification, I think you can be rest assured 
ensured that these are the third party verified that EU has mentioned. Um, they can submit their data and of course they will then um, you know, tweak and align and upgrade their data accordingly. So that, that should uh, work quite well. Yeah. So Yuling, um, that that if that applies to corporates, they've got deeper pockets, and they are. It will be much easier for them to comply. Where do the smallholders stand? Well, yeah, I mean that that's the really interesting part because I mean uh, you know it's about non deforestation. Mm. I mean there's also like legality. There's eight categories of domestic law, including uh, human rights under international laws. So if you look at some something interesting, I mean I always like the example of Vietnam. Actually, I mean you know they started the timber industry from nowhere. I mean nobody imagines you know, Vietnam as, as a timbered country that much, but it has a great timber industry. I mean, and then of course, Malaysia starts with a lot of timber, but then we don't quite have a great timber industry anymore. We have wonderful furniture makers, by the way, who are, you know, a, to your hilt, international certified. And, you know, we have uh, amazing SMEs who are supplying like wood uh, retail products to global multinationals. So don't get me wrong, Malaysian are actually very, very capable to do all these things. But of course, if you want more people to be involved in these supply chains and supplying to the top international buyers and it's, you know, higher specification, i.e. higher margin products, you really need to help them. Um, and I like the Vietnam example because you essentially, you know, work with uh, the Europe to help set up your your uh, your your you know your deforestation system. If you go into the Vietnam uh, you know map, you can actually draw a polygon and get alerts. So they set up these things. They amend their labor law so it aligns uh, with uh, international uh, standards. So these are a lot of things that the countries uh, have done. Uh, to make sure that their SMEs are going to work well. And the other thing is to have national registries. So say, for example, um, this is an, from another industry, but say, you know, personal data protection. People know a, a lot about that now, right? Uh, it's been ha happening here as well. But, you know, guess what? Rather than uh, assuming that, that the SME is going to run their own data protection data thing, you have a national registry where they, then it becomes very cheap. And in fact, the government is supporting the thing so that the companies don't have to do this. So the... What is I'm trying to say on Palmwell is that you can work your national registry, you can create your base map on deforestation and say that, you know, 98% of Malaysia is okay. Mm. Uh, and then like, okay, you know, just ping my data set, you know, you find the right protocols, the right, the right way to do it, um, uh, you know, with the right kind of, uh, you know, commercial or, you know, personal data protection. I mean, you have to do all these things as well. And this is where, um, you know, there's a lot of possibilities to do this. It's about digitalization. Okay, from what I um, hear from you, Yuling, uh, it sounds like in the implementation of the EUDR doesn't have to be a death knell for Malaysian palm exports. It means it, it just means that we need to have the processes and mechanisms in place in order to comply. But how, I guess, how close are we to reaching um, having those mechanisms? Well, that's the amazing thing. If you look at Malaysia, it's one of those countries who has a comparative advantage in data. Right. Um, on the palm oil side, we have Malaysian palm oil board that does the licensing. There have been, in fact, the whole exercise of Malaysian sustainable palm oil actually up has upgraded over the last few years the data on the supply chain, the value chain, even the dealers are involved. I mean, this is amazing. They've done amazing work. And it just takes a bit of connection of the dots, uh, the right way to digitalize it, the right way to share it. In, 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 in effect, you have to allow every buyer, country or system and maybe be quite open about it, obviously with the right 
data protection protocols, right, um, to be able to ping your system and say, if Japan for palm kernel shells wants a certain information, you know, somehow try to integrate other data in, right? Whether the private sector can layer on a bit of information, they can maybe go to the national registry, get some base information, then do their add-on of information. You know, you know, you have to be very open and flexible because the world is moving into this due diligence and, uh, and uh, you know, you have to be very nimble and, and flexible and open to it. So what's the reluctance here? I mean, it seems like a pretty straightforward, easy solution, right, Yuling? Well, I wouldn't say it's easy, which is what's the problem, right? I mean, right. otherwise it, it's all going to be done. But but I think what, what I, I'm a little bit puzzled about actually is that um, the headlines are so negative because there is one very, very big positive from the EUDR. It's because the cutoff date um, for deforestation is 2020. Um, you know, under the existing um, sort of market practice is that if you wanted to go to the EU, you would normally have, say, RSP or ISCC, which means that you would have cut-off dates of 2007 and, say, around 2010 or so. So, I mean, we're talking about including another 10, 13 years of, as it were, land use change. That's very liberal, in fact. And, uh, you know, regions... You know, I mean, you can now, in fact, envisage that Sarawak smallholders have a pathway into the EU when previously you couldn't envisage that, you know, they have to do all this, you know, we have to group together, we have to join this, we have to, you know, hire a manager and we then have to, you know, get certified. Obviously, that's still very important because for high-end, high-value-added products, I think you will still have to consider doing that because, um, you know, you need the segregation, um, you know, and, and, you know, special qualities and, and grades for that purpose. But um, conceptually, the EUDR is about due diligence, uh, which is about then providing the necessary data. And if you basically could show that, you know, say one district in, in whether it's Johor or Sarawak, that you hadn't had any deforestation since 2020. Mm. And that I can probably say is 95%, if not even much higher of Malaysia, uh, you can then create the data uh, to then show that that you comply. But of course, there will be have to be other moving parts. So it's actually very positive. And in fact, the NGOs are not very happy because I think they prefer the 2016 cutoff date, somebody was telling me mm. um, on this. Um, this is actually quite liberal. Yuling, thank you very much for speaking with us. That was Ko Yuling, Principal of Segi Enam Advisors, giving us some insight into the uh, new laws coming from the EU on deforestation-free products, how this is going to impact Malaysia, and really uh, painting quite an optimistic picture in how we can address this. It doesn't have to uh, you know, it doesn't have to spell like a, a reduction in our exports, uh, but we really are in a position to react positively to this to our advantage. Yeah, it's all about traceability at the end of the day. I mean, everyone wants to know where uh, whatever they are consuming, uh, what the origin is and, and what sort of damage it might be doing to the environment. 8.49am, we're heading into some messages, but when we come back, we're going to discuss the pace of political reforms in the country. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.